Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. I found my old copy of my favourite childhood movie and something's seriously wrong with it by Dopabine. Part 3 Last night, I had painted dreams of Jesse. The first dream took place on a narrow country lane leading up to a small house. The animated pastoral landscape was breathtaking. Green hills rolled in the background dotted with the indistinct clusters of wildflowers and grazing cows. A bird sang and twirled overhead as a lazy-eyed cat lounged on the porch. A young woman walked up the lane, ushering a tiny Jessie before her. She was a, a perfect cartoon girl, slim and wasp-waisted, with enormous dark eyes and a cascade of black hair. Tears welled in her eyes, and she wiped them away, flicking them in the air where they hung briefly, suspended like diamonds before pattering to the earth. She stopped at the porch and knelt down before Jesse, who looked at her curiously. A look of black hair fell over his face and tickled his nose, making him sneeze. The girl smiled gently and put both hands on his shoulders, looking at him as more starry tears fell. Jesse put his chubby hands on her cheeks, clumsily trying to wipe her tears away. She took his hands, inspecting each small finger, and then pulled him in for a hug. The front door creaked open. An older couple stood there, comfortably frumpy. The woman with a high bun and floral house dress and the man in slacks and a button-down shirt. The girl buried her face in Jessie's hair. You be a good boy, alright? Her voice was painfully young and choked with tears. I'll be back soon. I love you. Love you, he repeated clumsily. She held him for a long moment and then stood and guided him to the couple. The older woman pulled him in close. 
Jesse looked at his weepy young mother anxiously. Thank you so much, she said, trying to smile through her tears. She pulled a folded piece of paper from her pocket, then leaned down and folded it into Jesse's hands. Then she kissed the top of his head. I'll be back soon, okay? As Jesse watched, she turned and retraced her steps along the flower line lane. Jesse's lip quivered and once his mother disappeared into the soft morning haze, the older woman gently ushered him into the house. Jesse reluctantly obeyed, looking over his shoulder until the door closed. A moment of darkness, followed by another painted dream in all its soft watercolored beauty. Jesse, much older now, a young teenager with his mother's dark eyes and his grandfather's straight nose and the coarse black hair of both, stood inside the barn. It looked older, darker. Strange stains covered the walls and warped wood spilled a, a hundred thin rays of light onto the ground. Shafts of pale sunlight poured through the seams and holes in the roof, suffusing the shattered interior with a rich golden glow. He shifted to the side, causing a particular bright shaft of sun to bisect him. One half of his face was brightly illuminated, seemingly lit from within. The other was cast in shadow, obscured except for a dim shine in one eye. He stoically watched the open barn door, and soon a familiar figure crossed the threshold, wide and tall, brawny and somehow wild, with hair exactly like Jesse's. The faceless man dragged a thin, broken body behind him, kicking up a trail of twirling dust. Its strange, bony shape looked startlingly black against the bright light flooding in the door. The faceless man dragged it over and tossed it in front of Jesse, and then just stalked out. Translucent tears welled in the corner of Jesse's eyes. For a moment, he looked exactly like his mother. The figure shuddered and, with a series of strange, dry clacks, rose to its hands and knees. A familiar bashed-in skull trailed straggling black hair. Empty sockets exuded darkness. Fragile, mummified skin hung from its bones like moss. It reached for him. Jesse flinched, but caught himself, extended a trembling hand to the corpse that had tormented him years ago. It grasped his hand gently. Do you know what he is? It whispered in a rattling voice as dry and soft as autumn leaves. Jesse nodded, more tears welling. He wants you to kill him, but you can't. It's a trick. You can kill his body, but when you do, his spirit will steal yours. That's why he took you from me. She dragged herself forward and weakly wrapped her arms around his legs. I love you, and I tried to come back. Panic realization and profound despair etched itself into every beautifully rendered line of his face. Well, what am I supposed to do? I don't know, his mother whispered. The faceless man materialized in the doorway, holding a scythe. He glinted dangerously, white flash traveling slowly down the blade. He pulled the corpse of Jesse threw it on the ground and commenced more unspeakable abuse. Jesse started screaming and tried desperately to stop him, but the faceless man easily shoved him away, laughing in his low, inhuman voice every time Jesse ran at him. 
His mother opened her jaws to scream, but all that issued was a soft hiss. Jesse whirled around and tore through the barn. Shafts of light created a mesmerizing moving pattern on his dark hair and drenched him in a hazy white outline. He ran to the wall, grabbed an old heavy axe and charged. And with a casual swipe, the faceless man decapitated the corpse and kicked the broken body aside. Then spread his arms and stepped towards Jesse. A shaft of light threw one half of his face into sharp relief, showing smooth skin and handsome features with a fiery yellow eye. Jesse dodged behind and drove the handle down on the base of the man's neck. His eye bulged, mouth flying open as he staggered. Jesse hit him again and again and again and driving him down to his knees, then flat on his stomach, the faceless man's eyes continued to bulge as myriad expressions crossed his face. Joy, confusion, rage and finally fear. Jesse swung the handle around and with a furious scream, slammed the man's neck with the butt of the axe. He fell still as abruptly as a marionette with its strings cut. The man huffed wetly, fixing Jesse with that strange golden eye. Jesse stared back, shaking with mingled fear and rage. Tears spilled down his face and sweat stains bloomed across his shirt. Jesse's hands tightened on the axe handle, his face darkened terribly and for an instant, just an instant, his eyes flashed yellow as coins. Then he threw the axe aside and stormed away, leaving the man to gasp and choke on the dusty floor. He gurgled and panted, clearly struggling to move. Finally, he stopped trying. His remaining eye glowed in the sun, bright and mirthful. My good weak boy. <laughs> he croaked and laughed. I snapped away with a gasp and sat up gingerly uttering an involuntary hiss or deep rotted pain spidered through my abdomen. Chills rolled down my back, bringing a light layer of panic with it. The room looked too big, too empty, so I stood, ignoring the flares of agony and hobbled downstairs. Jesse, Jesse was on the couch, wide awake and miserable as ever. I sat beside him, twined my hand into his and gently pulled him close. He relaxed against me, tension slowly draining from him. After a minute or two, his arm drifted shyly down over my shoulders. Hey, I'm... I'm glad you're here, I said. He didn't answer, but he didn't pull away either. And after what felt like a long time, he spoke. I... I don't know what he is. His voice was soft, anxious, and strangely clear. But he's old, probably ancient. He's my mother's father, and he has so many children, and he uses them all, but what he needs most are the sons of his daughters. But they're rare. He said they come every hundred years if he's lucky. I'm the first in two hundred, apparently. He paused clearly searching for the right words. He, uh, he feeds and thrives on the suffering of the death of, of children. His and others too. It keeps his body young and strong for decades. Our body will technically last forever if he's inside it, as long as you keep it fed and hydrated. But it'll still wither and once it starts, it goes fast. If he's not careful, 
he'll end up a weak conscious husk. And that's why he needs his grandsons. Blood of his daughter and the blood of her son. I held my breath. His spirit changes bodies. Either when he dies or when his chosen host dies. He can't be involved in the death of the host. For some reason, he can't live through us if he kills us. The new body has to be a grandson and it has to be... Uh, I don't know. It has to be prepared to take him, I think. And that's what he did to you? Prepared you? Yeah. He didn't take any chances. He found me when I was a toddler and worked for years. When did it end? He didn't answer immediately and when he did, he sounded incredibly tired. I played into his hands my entire childhood. At first, he tried to make me do the things that he did. I tried to make me enjoy them. If I'd cooperated, if we'd done those things together, he broke off and struggled briefly. Hey, hey, Jesse, it's okay, I said. He shook his head and continued. Committing that kind of violence together creates a, a two-way path, and when I, when I couldn't do it or, or wouldn't, he started to set up scenarios to make me violent against him. He did things to make me angry, angry enough to attack him, to try to kill him, in fact. He exhaled harshly. It was already hard, and... Then, that thing, the one that comes with the dream sometimes, it kept encouraging me to kill him. It only wants revenge at literally any cost. He broke off again and leaned forward, covering his eyes. I was... I was so angry and so sad every time he... He hurt people. I mean, I wanted to kill him, but... I didn't give in. Why? Well, because of the dreams. I had painted dreams of him all the time. They showed me what he was and why. What he could be if he'd... He trailed off. I did try to kill him once. One time when I was 12. Of course, I didn't hurt him, but the attempt was enough. My violence, my anger finally created the path that he wanted. I fought a wild surge of rage. All of those awful things I'd seen, all of Jesse's abuse and the suffering of all the others I'd seen in those dreams, all this pain for nothing but mundane selfishness. Jesse shuddered and kept on, voice suddenly shrill and shaky. He, uh, he had my mother... <laughs> I didn't know, and I thought she was dead. That's how he kept me there, by saying that he was my only family. But he lied. On the day he really wanted me to kill him, he brought her to me, and I'd seen her before. He used her to scare me all the time, and I didn't understand that it was her until that last day. In my mind's eye, I saw the mummified body with the crushed head and broken limbs 
pressing its lips to Jesse's forehead in the pit, then weakly hugging him in the barn. I was so sad that I could barely breathe. He, he brought her out. This, this ruined, mutilated thing and just left us alone. She told me who she was and said what would happen if I killed him. And then he came back and he... He... He trailed off as his chest heaved. Yeah, yeah, I saw. I said, quietly. You don't have to say it. This calmed him down somewhat and another long, tense pause filled the air. Then he continued. He always said that he did those things for me, but to make me strong. When I found out the truth, he shook his head fretfully. All my life, I, I thought he did everything out of misplaced altruism. I thought it meant that he cared, and if he cared, there was hope for him, right? But, but no. And when I realized that he only did everything for himself... Just because he wanted to... I wasn't just angry for my mum. I was angry because everything he did, everyone he hurt, was... It was all for him. You needed to be angry. I tightened my hand around his. Did the painted dreams come from him too? Uh, no, no. He... He hated that I had them. His shoulder started to shake. Alarmed, I straightened up and looked at him. Dark hollows ringed his eyes, made all the darker by his soloed pallor. Somehow, it made him look both very old and very young too. He turned away and covered his face. I would have bugged him, but a familiar, dreadful flicker of static caught my eye. It burst into being behind Jesse horrifically thin and shredded into writhing ribbons and wrapped its hand around his head. Jesse convulsed and fell limp. I lunged for the phantom, but it caught my wrist. Painful shocks arced up my arm and sharp fingertips cut deep. What did you do to him? I gasped. I put him into sleep, into dreams that will help him. It jerked back and threw me on the ground, away from the sofa and away from Jesse. Its skin danced madly with every shade of black and white. Looking too long made me dizzy. What? What are you? I asked. It crawled toward me and drew itself up on its haunches. Its faceless, flickering head filled my field of vision. Though terribly blank, it radiated loathing every bit as strongly as Carolyn's clown. I am all of them. I am every forgotten mother and every dead sister, every abandoned son and all the ruined daughters. I am their vengeance. I am their rage. I am their curse. I'm sorry, I, I, I couldn't kill him. I babbled. I didn't know what he... Long, painful fingers wound into my hair. Shocks lanced my scalp and burrowed deep, exploding behind my eyes like a supernova. You were never going to kill him, but you are going to die. What? Why? We suffer and we die, terribly, leaving our most unlucky sons to perpetuate the horror. A painful, buzzing reverberation emphasized every syllable. 
That is why we make our sons dream. So that they never forget the ramifications of inflicting pain. So that they learn to channel his evil within into righteousness. So that they disrupt the monster's path. Do they? I asked. On the sofa, Jesse thrashed and moaned. Jesse did. It hissed. But our good boy dreamt too strongly and came to pity the monster. It made him weak. You made him even weaker. And through weakness, the roots the monster placed within him may grow. Then I'll go. I squeaked. Bright blinding spots danced over my eyes, boring painfully into my head. I won't ever talk to him. I won't even... It's done. He will kill you. And when you die, Jesse will finally surrender. We've all been sacrificed at the beast's altar, and Jesse will be the last, the only one with meaning. When he and the monster die together, our path will finally end. It ran its fingers through my hair, causing the strands to stand on end. Amid the glowing static, I caught a glimpse of bright, rich color. A glimpse, I thought, of paint. And when it kills you, you can become us and be with Jesse at the end. Jesse shot up from the sofa, gasping and tried to tackle the phantom. It caught him effortlessly and twined itself around his body. Jesse collapsed, crying out as blinding sparks danced and burned across his skin. Jesse cried out that he couldn't give any more and to just leave me alone. And the low hiss exploded into a roar. It burst the bounds of its tattered form, filling the room with blinding, undulating light, and then snapped out of being. Jesse wept helplessly into his hands, and I tried to hug him, but he pushed me off and shrank away. After a while, he looked up, obviously wiping the tears from his face, even as more fell. Just keep the dog, okay? She'll help you when you dream. She's like him, but, but good. Weak here, but strong in the dreams. Why are you telling me this? What are you going to do? I don't know why I asked, because I already knew. Just just figure out how to get the dreams back, okay? I can't kill him without them. He got unsteadily to his feet. I followed, ignoring the agony that radiated with every step, and grabbed him. He threw me off, but I caught him again and held on tight. He twisted briefly, but gave in and let me walk him to the sofa. I'm sorry, okay? His shoulders shook and his voice wavered wildly. That thing, the static, it tries, but it always, it always uses everyone else like bait. People are just things to it. Things it uses to make me angry, to make me do what it wants. Like Carolyn and Mark, they are people to it. Their pain doesn't matter. In in the end, it's it's just like him because all it wants is death. He looked at me and then down at the floor. I'm so sorry. Well, I'm not. He didn't answer. Eventually, he cried himself to sleep right there on my couch, like he wasn't worthy of a bed. I did my best to comfort him, but I don't think it helped. He's sleeping still, and every once in a while, his breath hitches, but so far, he's out. I've been out here with him the entire time, and 
I want to make sure that he doesn't run off and literally kill himself, of course, but mostly I just, I just want to be close to him. I don't know what I'm going to do and I hope I survive and honestly, I think that I want the dreams to stay. I'm all for torturing and killing monsters, mundane and otherwise, but ultimately those things just don't matter to me. What matters is my poor, selfless, lonely boy. Whatever happens, he is not going to die because of me. G'day mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's b-i-s-h dot b-u-s-t-a at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. I had a confused flurry of painted dreams, a tornado of horror wrapped in beautiful imagery. I knew that they were important, but I couldn't remember a single one when I snapped awake, cold and sore and badly unsettled to Jesse's frantic movements. When he noticed I was up, he tried to smile. Hey, uh, I have to go and feed him. It's almost been two days and I already keep him on the brink. Inspiration struck me. I'll do it. He shook his head. No, I just have to get it done before work. I'll be late, but then let me do this for you. What do I feed him? Well, it's, uh, it's all in the fridge. Uh, thin stuff, oatmeal and broth. He's got an IV for the rest. I know how to handle IVs. I used to help my grandmother with hers. Sure, I'll take care of it and come back here after work. I want you to stay with me, okay? He laughed bleakly. After everything I did? Why? I didn't have an answer I could put into words, but... After a minute, he found his keys and pulled the house key before he left. I grabbed the dog and went to feed Koenig. I know where Jesse lives because I drove him to work for two weeks in February when his car was in the shop. I remember the route just fine and arrived quickly. Jesse's apartment was warm and so silent that I could almost hear the dust falling to the carpet. Pale morning light shifted through the windows, washing everything in hazy white. I put the dog down. She promptly wound in a circle and settled down to sleep. True to Jesse's word, the fridge was full of food. I microwaved a container and took it to Earl Koenig. More dreamy white light bathed the room, making it like borderline heavenly. It almost could have been a painted dream, in fact. Koenig's good eye flicked open. Brief confusion was quickly replaced by a white smile that looked disconcertingly like his daughter's like Jesse's why hello again he croaked he ate slowly thin lips trembling whenever I spooned the food into his mouth he kept his gaze trained on me and that strange yellow iris practically glowed after half a bowl 
He turned his face away and I set the food down and prepared his IV. On my way out, my skin started to prickle. Even though my back was turned, I knew that he was watching me. I waited for one tense moment and then just gratefully left. I didn't go to Earl Koenig just to give Jesse a break. I have painted dreams of people around me. Jesse already said that he dreamed of his grandfather's past and I hoped proximity would give me a painted dream of Koenig. Only, I don't always have dreams. My painted dreams are equally split between sleep and a videotape and sure enough, when I got home, a tape was waiting for me. I picked it up carefully and it was the same one. All dogs go to heaven. I looked around uneasily, expecting the static creature, the thing that was called Juliana and probably Anna, and a thousand other names that I'll never know. But there was nothing. I put the tape in the player and sat down. A wild blur of color filled my screen before cutting to an elegant title card. It read, The Boy Who Was Too Good To Do Any Good, Chapter 2. Buttery sunlight spilled through a neat four-pane window, illuminating a homey country kitchen. A small boy and a, a large man sat at a small table. The boy listlessly jabbed a fluffy pile of scrambled eggs. His face was bruised and puffy. Terrible half-heeled welts peeked from under his collar and sleeves. But the man regarded him carefully. White gauze covered one eye, the snowy white stained with a, a small splotch of blood. His remaining eye was the color of the sunlight. I'm sorry that you were frightened. That's why I wanted you to give her over to the shadow, so she wouldn't frighten you anymore. She was sad, Jesse whispered. She didn't want to go. Anger flickered over the man's face. It was the easiest way, Jesse. Next time, it'll be much, much harder. Translucent tears pulled in Jesse's large dark eyes. He was terribly pale. All the soft peachy rose color had drained from his skin. Dark hollows dominated his face, making him look like a, a tiny forlorn, desperately lonely wraith. I don't want to do it again. Jesse, I have many, many children and many more grandchildren. I've seen and done these things longer than you can imagine, all in pursuit of one goal. A single tear trailed down Jesse's cheek, leaving a dull track. I can't accomplish my goal alone. I need you. After years, thousands of them, you're the first boy the shadow invited. Jesse's face twisted and tears began to stream down his face. I hate it. Why? Don't you know what it does? Jesse shook his head, covering his small face with bruised bloody hands. If the shadow chooses you and you give it what it wants, it'll let you live forever. Like you? Jesse sobbed. No, I only live by... by doing bad things, yeah? But you're special. The shadow will let you live forever without hurting anyone, ever again. Why won't the shadow do that for you? I don't know, but... Do you want to know something extraordinary? Because I found you... It will reward me too. If you give it what it wants, we'll both live forever without having to hurt anyone again. Jesse looked up at him sadly. Even this tiny animated doppelganger exuded both gentle hope and profound loneliness. 
Only if I hurt the broken lady first, okay? It's too late for that. Jesse perked up hopefully, but withered when the man continued. Because you didn't do as I said, you have to do something much worse. Jesse stabbed his eggs again. I have to make someone else die? Jesse, no! He smacked the table, rattling the cutlery. He looked really fierce, bright-eyed and bearing small teeth. The man stood, towering over Jesse and casting him into a shadow. The sunlight blazed dreamily along his outline. Only one person, Jesse. Just one. And you won't have to hurt anyone ever again as long as you live, okay? I don't have to hurt anybody because I don't want to live forever. The man's face darkened and, for an instant, twisted into something horrifying and inhuman. Then, he shot forward and grabbed Jesse by the throat and lifted him straight into the air. Jesse pedaled the air as he tugged at the man's enormous hand. Wavy locks of Jesse's hair pulled atop his fingers, glinting soft gold in the morning light. You will, one day, said the man. A monstrous ugliness suffused his features. And like me, you'll enjoy every scream of pain, every snap of bone and every drop of blood it takes to get there. He let go. Jesse swung around and grasped his wrist desperately, hanging like a monkey for a brief moment before the man flung him into the wall. Jesse struggled to a sitting position and somehow managed to give his grandfather a, a furious glare. Earl Koenig was a dark shadow against the bright window. Pure darkness wreathed in a, a thin outline of blazing sunlight. Jesse's chest heaved and starry tears gushed down his cheeks. But that anger radiated from him, a deep, convictive rage, far too old for such a small child. You are a special boy, said Koenig. As he spoke, he seemed to grow taller and terribly dark until he towered over everything. But in the end, you are of me, and you are for me. He stepped away from the window, leaving the room awash once again in morning light. He left the room. A moment later, the front door slammed. Jesse, bathed now in brilliant pale sunlight, touched his forehead to the oiled floorboards and just wailed. The video snapped to black and a surge of white snow pulled across the screen in jagged angles, followed by flickering white words. Not now. And then a new title card appeared. Mark's Early Years, Chapter 21 of 142. Dreamy animation faded in. A little boy's bedroom came into being, gently gilded in mellow afternoon light. Toy cars and cast iron trains littered the carpet throwing little shadows on the floor. A twin bed with a spaceship comforter sat by the window. Under the bed were rows upon rows of toy vehicles, painstakingly arranged by type, make, model, color, and size. A belt and large pair of pants lay pulled by the headboard. The comforter swayed in time with heavy panting, and soon there came a loud grunt, followed by rustling. The tape cut to static. My face was swollen and raw from tears, like I'd been crying a long time. I didn't know how long I'd been watching, but when I started it was mid-morning, but the light outside had the heavy golden quality of late afternoon. Rage surged and sang inside of me, 
running through every vein and nerve. But there was no question what I was going to do. No question at all. I'd been sent home from the hospital with a bottle of sleeping pills. I hadn't taken any yet. After all, I don't like sleeping anymore, but I took one after seeing that tape. I didn't care that it was in the middle of the day or that his parents would be awake. I only cared that they died. I took a pill and waited, and when I was still awake 20 minutes later, thrumming with excitement and anger, I took another one. After a time, I felt something protrude from the back of my head. It felt damp and hot and thrummed like a live wire. I sat up and began to pull. The rope coiled wetly at my side. Beautiful images flickered across it breathtaking animation seemingly oblivious to the horrific events it portrayed. The cord was strange and spongy. Pulling it out hurt badly, but I had to do it. I couldn't live with it in my head any more than I could live with Carolyn's horror. This was the only way to excise it, and the only thing that I would ever be able to do for Mark. Finally, with a hollow pop, the end of the rope dislodged and fell atop the coil. I mimicked the static creature's actions and stretched the rope across my bedroom floor. The rope rolled and convulsed, and then burst and spilled over my room like a glittering film. The walls warped, narrowing into a tunnel before and stretched farther than the eye could see. A million screens lined the walls, playing out Mark's abuse. The scenes that I'd seen and many that I hadn't. After a while, I saw the exit. Beyond the mouth of the tunnel lay a little two-story house against a rainy grey backdrop. A stand of mossy trees shielded the home from the street. Well, not that there was any point. The little stretch of buckled two-lane asphalt was empty as a road could be. I went inside. Wet air, cold and heavy with mildew, engulfed me like a wave. I found myself in a narrow room... A table stacked high with papers and warped books sat in the corner. A large dog lay sleeping on a crate by the door and he paid no notice of me and why should he? He wouldn't see me because I wasn't here for him. I climbed a flight of narrow stairs into a cluttered kitchen. And directly ahead was a small living room littered with magazines. Grey light filtered through filmy curtains creating a, a lovely haze. I found the bedroom quickly. Blackout curtains blocked the windows. Blue TV light flickered, bathing everything in an icy glow. Over the headboard hung a massive portrait of Mark's father. Dried flowers wreathed the photo, and underneath were the words, In our hearts forever. Mark's sat propped against the headboard, blinking sleepily. While waiting for her to fall asleep, I checked the bathroom for a plunger. Mark's mother was hardier than Carolyn's abuser. Younger, less willing to die. But that was alright though, because it gave me more time to inflict pain. Rage drove me, insatiable and overwhelming. Finally, battered, bloody and broken beyond recognition, she convulsed and lay still. The TV screen surged. Static overtook the picture, coalescing into a familiar, hideously thin form. The phantom crawled out and surveyed the damage, then turned its blank, flickering face to me. Well done, 
go back. I bolted out of the house, pausing only to open the sleeping dog's cage. The tunnel was dark. Occasional bursts of static danced across the dull expanse, lighting my way home. It was already night by the time I returned, and to my surprise, a large cartoon dog sat at my bed. Her bushy tail thumped when she saw me. Meanwhile, the tunnel collapsed silently and shrank back into the awful rope, glimmering as it faded out of existence. I climbed into bed and slept, grateful for the dog's warm bulk. An undeterminable amount of time later, I woke to Jessie's hand on my shoulder. The dog, tiny once again, had a wet nose pressed against the back of my neck. I sat up, wincing as pain spidered up my torso. It was less severe now, achy, almost dull. Jesse looked exhausted and afraid. Tell me the truth, okay? A muscle jumped in his cheek. What did you do today? Anger and shame flooded me in equal measure. What I needed to do, okay? His shoulders began to shake. I told you. He took a deep breath. Why are you doing it? What do you mean why? I'm doing it for them. In what way? Because those people are gone now. They can't hurt them anymore. But they weren't hurting them anymore. Carolyn's safe. Mark is safe. The best thing you can do is take care of them. Nothing else matters. This is taking care of them. No, it's not. It's anger. It's hate. Those people deserved it. No, they deserve even worse. More than you and I could ever do. I know it isn't fair, but... He trailed off helplessly and began to anxiously mill around. I know it feels like justice, but... Sacrificing yourself to anger? Letting it eat you? You're killing a part of yourself. Taking it away from people who need you now. How is that justice? Jesse... No, listen to me. For the first time since I'd known him, he sounded angry. You aren't saving anyone. You're just avenging them. But vengeance with no purpose is... It's only violence. Not against those... Those... He broke off again. It's only against yourself. You can't do this. Even through my defensiveness, even through my rage, it... It all made my heart break. This... This is destruction... And when you start to enjoy it, you start to become something else. It's how you turn into the monster that comes with the dreams. And it's how you turn into my grandfather. Well, how do you not give in? I was surprised to hear that my voice was so mellow. He came back over and sat down next to me. You just... you just don't, he said. What you do is you focus on things and people that matter. Uh, what you can actually do. I thought of his endless double shifts and swallowed the lump in my throat. But how? Why didn't you ever give in? He leaned in and kissed me. And that was all it took. I reciprocated eagerly, grateful for the closeness, and pulled him down. Only when we were drifting off to sleep did I realize that he hadn't answered. After that, I had a, a different kind of painted dream.
I was laying in a field. Soft, billowy grass created a luxurious cushion. Stalks grew past my head, swaying gently, and white clouds sailed across a rich blue sky. A gentle, profound contentment settled over me as I marveled at the lush colours of the sky and the grass, and I shifted position and was surprised when my hand brushed against something. Curiously, I turned to have a look. Jesse was fast asleep. Of course, I thought. Why wouldn't he be here? A warm breeze ruffled his hair. His cheeks were rosy, chest rising and falling in a steady rhythm. Looking at him made my heart swell. I smiled, quelling a surge of joy. It was too strong. Strong enough to make me laugh or squeal, and I didn't want to wake him. But no sooner had the thought crossed my mind than he blinked awake. He looked confused when he saw me and then terrified. He shot up and looked over the landscape, and I laughed gently and twined my hands into his. Shh, it's all right, it's all right. My voice carried that odd, gentle clarity, peculiar to the animated films those dreams mimicked. He didn't look convinced, but he still fell back beside me, sending up a puff of grass and petals. His hand was warm and beautifully familiar in mine. This is, this is a good dream. He sighed in relief. You're right. She's here. At that moment, I became aware of soft paddling steps. I craned my neck and out of the corner of my eye, I saw paws. Jessie's dog. I realized that she was circling, keeping vigil. I rolled onto my side and just to look at Jessie. His mouth worked into a nervous smile. What? I smiled back. Ah... Uh, I'm just glad you're here. A watercolor flush touched his cheeks and he looked away. That wouldn't do. I knew that he didn't want to look away. He just didn't want to jinx anything and I could almost see the thought in his head. I inched over and tucked my head against his shoulder. He immediately put an arm over me and pulled me close, relaxing. His breathing slowed and steadied, matching the rhythm of the guard dog's paws and he murmured something. Already half asleep, I nearly missed it. Huh? This is why. He breathed. My eyes flooded closed, shuddering against the lush sky and sailing clouds and long swaying grasses, and together we slept inside the dream. We slept well and woke early. We went to his apartment together to feed Earl Koenig and then went to work. Carolyn greeted me at the door with the excited hug she customarily delivers when I return from my days off. Halfway through a game of Go Fish, she decided that she wanted breakfast. Jesse and Mark were working on a puzzle at the kitchen table. Mark turned when I entered and Jesse tried to divert his attention, but Mark ignored him and stared at me for a long tense minute. Then he gave a, a simple salute and returned to his model. He didn't speak, didn't even look at me for the rest of the day, but that was okay. I don't know how he knew, but then again, I don't know how Jesse knew either. Maybe Mark told him, maybe Jesse just knows and Mark saw because I didn't do it right. 
Jesse got roped into working late, so I took care of Earl by myself. His leering smile unsettled me, but he didn't speak. I fed him, watered him, and exercised his limbs. On my way out, he croaked. I will die soon. Fiery pain flared along my wounds, slow and deep and sure. No, your body can't die unless it starves. <laughs> That's a lie, he wheezed. Told when I knew that he would never do what needed to be done. A kindness to ease his mind. Even if I believe you, why are you telling me? To help you with your decision. What decision? You don't get to have him. He chuffed with laughter. <laughs> when you come back to me, I'll try to be kind. I almost spoke. Almost gave him what he wanted, but... Instead, I turned the lights off and went home. The tape was waiting for me, propped against the TV, and I hid it. Jesse is strong, but he's also fragile. He doesn't need to see my waking dreams, especially not dreams concerning his grandfather's lies. Jesse stumbled in around ten, clearly exhausted. I took care of him every way that I could, and he fell asleep easily. I didn't want to sleep, so I went downstairs, and the tape was waiting for me, propped against the TV again. I'm not like Jesse, and I don't have his self-control or strength. He doesn't want me to kill anyone, and I understand his reasons, but killing Koenig isn't vengeance for the sake of vengeance. It's to save Jesse. I'm afraid to see what's on the tape. Afraid to dream, afraid to rage, but I'm much more afraid now of losing Jesse, and so I will watch. I hope it shows me something that will help me keep him, but you know, it's kind of funny. I'm out to save his body, and I guess he's out to save my soul, and I hope we both get that lucky. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.